Good morning, today's daf is daf Ayn Zayn, the last daf of the seventh parak. It's been quite a hard parak. Um, today's shiz le'ilu nishmas, gilabas yitzak Yisrael alevi, mayo neshama haven aliyad, may your memory be a blessing. The, uh, so we got up to the Mishnah at the top of Ayn Zayn Amr Aleph 778. This Mishnah is now switching around. Up until here, we've basically been discussing when a woman... When a man has a right to divorce a woman, and or when he would have to pay the ksuba or not, and I guess some cases where it would be a mechatos where he wouldn't even have to divorce her, he could, the marriage wouldn't have got off the ground, uh, wouldn't have uh, retroactively would it would have been annulled. Um, so now we're going to discuss a man's mumin and reasons why the woman would insist on divorce, and when Bayesian would force him to divorce her. Just always interesting to remember, according to Torah law. It's the man who has to give the get, and he has to give it willingly. Um, so here, Bayesian would be forcing him to give a get. How do they do that? And how can that ever be effective if he, if he has to give it willingly? So they learn out, and this the Rambam expresses very clearly, but they learn out, um, Basically, they would, in certain scenarios, beat him until he says, uh, until he says yes, until he says I'll do the, I'll give the get. Yeah, explain to him very nicely. Sometimes with sticks and uh, and fists, um, but and he would say yes. And ask, how's that considered willingly? So the Rambam says because at the heart of every Jew, he wants to do what's right. So you just bringing to the front what he really deeply wants to do. I mean, if based in on saying that he might have been wife, then he would have a very interesting idea, very scary, but also very special. Uh, try that at school. Yeah, let me, I'd love to. So, I mean, based in, uh, firstly now, based in cannot carry out corporal punishment. They'll be jailed and prosecuted. No, but I mean, they when they want to, for, so they try use uh, whatever means they can, chayrem, uh, you know those sort of leverages, uh, bad communications, public shaming, you know the the tools that they have at their hand. Um, but yeah, it's a very precarious position if based in one to try and get someone. I mean, we're not even discussing a case where they argue whether they should be a get or not. It could be a couple that have divorced. The husband's just. Um, being Dafka, he's using it as an opportunity to extort the wife or her family for money or for just for power. Um, so that's, uh, but yeah, and based in on very limited. There was a huge scandal with, in America and the FBI. Where there, were, there were certain rabbis you could phone up and they would arrange the husband to say yes. He would arrange. get arranged, yeah. Um, he had uh, a very big, strong uh, friends. Uh, basic, basically, a little, a mafia. They're very, very strong friends, and they would you'd phone him up, you'd discuss the case. Obviously, we, we can, I don't know if we can say obviously, but cases where almost the Torah law would have been motivated to get and, and push the husband. But the, the novelty is that he used, uh, he used uh, his own sort of extortion to get the get. Okay, but let's carry on. So, Isha Nolta Boy Mumin, a man who develops Mumin, ain't Kofin or Salahoti, we do not force him to divorce his wife. Why? In the previous mission, we learned that if a woman gets Mumin, the husband's allowed to divorce her. So, why here can a wife not insist on him divorcing her when he gets Mumin? So, the one commentary explains that 
general appearance doesn't matter to women as much as it does to men. I, what the husband looks like doesn't bother the wife as much as what the wife looks like. But obviously, I think, I mean, Rabbi Shimon Gamil says this is only with small women. But if it's mumim ketoyli, major plebishes, then obviously, based in, well, not obviously, then based in, would force him to divorce her. Right. Now, we're going to have two versions of what the mission exactly said. Rabbi Yehuda Tani Noldu, Chia Barav Tani Hoyu. Rabbi Yehuda taught that it's where the mumim developed I, after marriage, and Chia Barav taught Hoyu, where he had the mumim from before marriage. The one who says that if the mumim developed, how much more so if she always had mumim? Because she knew about the mumim and she accepted them. He had a missing ear and she still went ahead and married him. Well, what, if some, let's say something happens to his ear after they get married, we're saying he can divorce her. Well, then obviously, if he, eh, sorry, small mumin, he can't divorce him. Missing an ear might be a big mumin, but let's just, let's just assume it's a, it's a small mumin. If he lost his ear in the marriage, he can't force a get, force him to divorce her. Then obviously, if, he, if they got married and his ear was already missing, costs of Rebekah She knew about it and she accepted it. The one who says it's where he had women from before, that's where she can't divorce him. But if he developed the women, we would not say that. I could divorce her. It says, um, and Tanan, we learned in a Mishnah, but wait, Rabbi Shimon Gamliel taught that if, she, if this, that she we don't force him to divorce her, is where they are small mumin. So we do force him. According to the opinion, we're specifically discussing mumin that developed after marriage. That would make sense. That would be why you would make a distinction between before or after. Sorry, big or small mumin. Yeah, because if it's a big mum, yeah. if it's a small mum, we would say you're not going to make him divorce her. And if it's a big mum, you would make him divorce her. But according to the opinion that we're discussing, even mum that he had before they got married, she could, she knew about it and she accepted it. I, again, if you're going to tell me that there's a woman that she knew about before they were married, what difference does it make what type of woman it is? She said, I'll go ahead with the marriage anyway, knowing about the mum. So Gamora says, no, it's where she ought to be able to handle it. And now she says, I'm not able to handle it. Which, which makes sense. It says, look, I thought this was, this was a, a little bit of an issue. I thought we'd be able to move past it. I thought I'd, I loved him so much that I wouldn't notice his missing ear. And uh, I realized that I can't. I just can't look at him anymore. So now, so, so that's why it would work like that. Um, Tolstoy say a very interesting thing here. That's Dibra Maskil Savura. He says, it's a little bit of a question. He says, Every woman could use this trick 
in order to get divorced and her ksuba paid um, and paid out. She says, I, I didn't realize I couldn't handle it. She says, and then we would make him divorce her with the ksuba. So like, it's, what Tosas is asking is, like, look, if it's a fairly good couple and the wife just wants to opt out, she wants to push forward with the divorce, I don't say, okay, I'll divorce you, but I won't pay your ksuba. And that's fine. But here where she's, it's because of a mum that he has, and we're going to make him divorce her plus pay the ksuba, because it's kind of his problem that she can't live with him anymore, then if you say it's up to her to say, I thought I could handle it, but not, you're making it a little bit shaky for how do we know if she's being sincere. Maybe she's just decided to opt out, and therefore she shouldn't. So the Tosa suggests, he says, she says, maybe where we do suspect that she's just using it as a trick, then we wouldn't actually pay her ksuba. In normal cases, if that everything's not, they, they seem to have been uh, fairly compatible. We haven't noticed her hanging out with other men. Everything like, seems okay. And she says, like, she just can't live with him anymore. Then we will uh, allow the divorce and we're push for the divorce. Again, she has a reason. She says, she's got a moment. I thought I could handle it, but I can't. Then we would push it. But if there's like a little bit of doubt, like why is she doing this now? Maybe it's been many years, or you've, people have started to notice her hanging out with certain people, you know, whatever. There's a suspicion. Why does she want to go through it now? Then they wouldn't actually pay a um, What are big moments? So, perish. Rabban Gamliel, Kagon, Nimsis, Eino, Nikta, Yada, Rabbi Shimon Gamliel explains this if his eye became blind, if he became blinded in one eye or one of his hands became cut off or his um, foot got crushed. Um, that would be, what would be the halach if both eyes, if he was blinded in both eyes or both his hands got cut off? So remember again, we're saying that mumim um the husband, she can't force the wife to divorce according to the chachomim. So in this case, but maybe if it's like extreme, like both he's blinded in both eyes or both his hands are cut off, and now there's no chance for a normal living, maybe there the Tanakhama would agree to Rabbi Shimon Gamil that we can push a mum. Um, Itmar. Rabbi Abba Bar Yaakov, Omar Rabbi Yochanan, Halacha Kriv Shimon Gamil, Rava Omar Rav Nachman, Halacha Ketibre Chachomim. In case it's Machloikes Amoraim, how we pass in his Mishnah, Omi Omar Rabbi Yochanan, Hachi, did Rabbi Yochanan really say that the Halacha is like Rabbi Shimon Gamil? Vaha Omar Rabbi Yochanan, Omar Rabbi Yochanan, but we know Rabbi Yochanan said the name of Rabbi Yochanan. Bekomakom Sheshana Rabbi Shimon Gamil, but Mishnah Seinu, Halacha Kamoise, Chutzmi, Arei, Sidon, Verayah Reina. In all cases where we see Rabbi Shimon Gamil mentioned in the Mishnah, we paskin like him, except in those three scenarios. Not going to go into now, but the case of the Orev Tzidan, the case of Tzidan, and the case of the Raya, uh, the, Raya of the second uh, discussion. It says, so I, does Rabbi Yochan, So you telling me that Rabbi Yochanan paskins like Rabbi Shimon Gamliel? Yeah, but we have another teaching in the name of Rabbi Yochan, and that it's only in those three cases that we. Sorry, sorry, I said it wrong. You tell me that Rabbi Yochanan says we paskin like the Chachomim here, but we have a teaching from Rabbi Yochanan that we always paskin like Rabbi Shimon Gamliel, except in those three cases. He says, "Yeah, Amorai Nino Valibet Rabbi Yochanan." We actually have a machloekes Amorai, what Rabbi Yochanan held, and this is not something we're. 
I feel like this is not something we comfortable saying that we that it seemed maybe at different points in his life Rabbi Yochanan revised or changed. So some have this is what Rabbi Yochanan taught, or this is how we understood Rabbi Yochanan, and others have no, we have a different version of what Rabbi Yochanan held. Okay, uh, next Mishnah. The following we force him to divorce her. For the following moment, it says if he has this uh, type of boils outbreak, or polypus, he has a polyp or something, if he's a makamet, we'll discuss what all of these are in the Gemara. All these cases, whether it was from before they married or whether it was after they married. And all of them, before we get to Rebbe Meir, the last few are his job. But they jobs that come with a very bad aroma that would make it hard to live with him. Um, all of them Rabbi Meir said, All of them, Rabbi Meir says, this is even if he did it on condition, he said, you know I'm a mechanic, or you know I'm a bursi, will you marry me anyway? And she says, yes. So he's kind of made the marriage, he's pointed it out, he's highlighted it, he's made it on condition. And she still says, yes, if Mel holds, she's still allowed to come along and at a later stage and say, I thought I could manage it, but I actually can't. No, then we make her accept it. She has to live with it. She accepted it. She made the deal. She has to uh, tolerate it. Um, so this is all where this Machloikis Rabbi Man the Chachomim is where she kind of made a deal. He said, I'm a, a Bursi, will you marry me anyway? And she was like, yes, I will. So Rabbi Man says, still, she can say, I thought I could handle but I couldn't. And the Chachomim say, I didn't realize. The Chachomim say, no, she said she'll marry him knowing this. She has to stick it out. What would be if they, she didn't say it explicitly? I as well know it. It's clear. Everyone knew he was a Bursi. She definitely knew about it, but they didn't discuss it explicitly. So according Sorry, to... Sorry, what, what is the position again with the Kusuba? She then changes her mind. So I, I think here she would get her Kusuba, because it's his problem that's causing the divorce. Um, but then she could pull a move. She could say to him, all right, I'll marry you. First night she says to him, no, I don't want to marry you anymore. I thought I so could that's what Tosfos asked. So that's what we saw from Tosfos. That if we suspect her of uh, any trickery or doing it to get out or for any reason that we don't. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, so, so as so summary showing him, say, this is specifically where they like made a deal. That's where the Chachomim say, you have to remain married to her. But if she knew about it, but they didn't specify that, like, you marry me knowing that I'm a Bursi, then she can still say, look, I knew, I did. If it, you know, if it wasn't specified, then he can divorce her. Um, others say, no, the only time she can claim, I want to be out of this marriage because of this, is when she did not know about it. <laughs> don't know how it didn't come up in their dating, what, what did he do for a living? Yeah. But uh, she didn't know about it. And then she finds out about it, she can say, look, I'm not uh, staying married. And that's when, according to the Chachom, we would force it. In all other cases, if she knew about it 
And especially if they made a deal, then they would have to divorce her. Said, there's a case in Tzidon with the one Bursi who died. A Bursi is a tanner, and it's a very foul. They used uh, excrement and the chemicals and stuff that they used in the manufacturing of the heart with very, very bad smell. So this one, she was married to a Bursi, and he died, and she fell in Yibum to his brother, who was also a Bursi. And she can say, you know, your brother I could handle you, I can't. And they would force him to do Khalidza to her. Now why? They would say, are you clearly okay with someone being a Bursi? So I think this again comes down to, and this is anyone living in the real world sees this, there's certain qualities that you'll put up with because you get the whole picture. You know, says your brother, he was funny, he was smart, so I could put up with the bad smell. But you, I find you uh, callous and, uh, and, and annoying, so I can't put up with the bad smell. You know, whatever it is, we know, like when you look at, it's always funny, you, young people speak about what they, what they want out of the party they're going to date, what they expect. What's silly is you don't look at people at a list of items. It's how the, all the different aspects gel together as a person. So you can have someone who's a bit louder or a bit softer or a bit less funny, you know, but if it comes together with the generally wholesome other qualities, you'll be more than happy to sacrifice the, I don't know, the funniness or put up with the something, you know, but if it's other qualities don't balance out, then you wouldn't. So I think that's what it's saying here. Okay, my Baal Polypos, what's this Polypos? So Amr Avira Moshmul, Reach HaChoytem, but Manisa Tana Reach HaPeh. Avira said it's this bad smell, so I imagine it's a bad smell coming from some, I don't know what, some polyp or something on the nose. And Rashmul says, no, it's a bad smell from the, in the, in the price it says it's bad breath. Um, now, interesting enough, we, just, we have a machlokes, what it is, but both of these are reasons. We, we're just trying to define the Mishnah, because both of these are reasons that we would push for a divorce. Rav Asi Mani Ibcha, Rav Masi taught the other way around, Umonach Beisimonet, and he gave a way to remember, Shmuel consistently spoke about this parak. I said, Shmuel, the one who mentioned the one to do with the mouth. Okay, for Hamakamates. My Makamets, what is a Makamets? So Omar of Yehuda, Zeh HaMakabe Sos Klobin. This is someone who gathers uh, dog excrement. They would use the dog excrement as like a chemical in uh, laundering, etc. So it's Makame and Macy, but they challenged him. A price says, Makamets is a Bursi, and Makamets is a Bursi. Oh, the Litameh, Tikshilachom, and Nisin, Hamakamets, Vamataris, Nechoshes, Vaha Bursi. But wait, Al Mishnah taught Makamets, Matari, Nechoshes, and Bursi. So how can you tell me that Mekamets is a Bursi when our Mishnah lists Mekamets and Bursi separately? says, No, our Mishnah is describing two different types of Bursi. You get the major industrialist Bursi and someone who has a little tannery on the side. Obviously the one who works in, the main, in a major factory, it's large-scale uh, tanning business the smell is going to be much worse than someone who has like a small tannery on the side. So, but both of those. says, Ella of Yehuda Kasha, but we still have a question according to Rav Yehuda who said that Makamet is someone who gathers excrement. It seems very clear from the Bryson that it's a tanner. says, no, Tanayi, Tanya, Makamet, Zebusi, Yehshomrim, Zemakamet, Sos, Klobim. It's actually a Makhloikas Tanoim, what a Makamet is, whether it's someone who gathers Sos, Klobim, or a tanner. 
Okay, then we say from Matarif Nechoyishes Vahabursi, Mahamed Tsarif Nechoyishes. What is Matarif Nechoyishes? Literally, we would generally translate it as like someone involved in copper refinery or something like that. So Ravashi Omar, Chashli Doidi. Ravashi says it's someone who flattens copper to make pots. This is someone who's mining copper. He's taking it out from its source. Seems for I don't know if it's the chemicals used or the working with the copper in such a way would uh, make a bad smell and it would obviously linger on the person when he would go home and it would be very unpleasant for his wife. Tanya Kavai said the Rabbi Barbachana. There's a price in line with Rabbi Barbachana. Ezehu Metzarev Zehamachatech. Nechoyshes meikara. What's mechatech? A copper mana. Um, another reason when they would force the man to divorce his wife. Omarav ha'omer aini zanda aini mafarnes. Yoitzivi thanks uba. If the man says I refuse to support and provide for my wife, we make him divorce her and give her uba. Says also Rabbi Elaza Omar leshmai sekamid shmuel. Rabbi Elaza went and told this over before Shmuel. I this that if a, if a husband refuses to support his wife, we make him divorce her. Says Omar achus asari leelazer. He says go feed Eliezer barley. I what he, it's, it seems along the lines of this is like a degrading way of saying he's speaking. Like only an animal would come up with this idea. This is nonsense. Barley's animal food. And Rashi also points out the word kosua, koiseis, for eating, implies eating in an unusual way. So chewing barley is not normal. So he says, go feed him uh, barley. I, he's not, uh, what, what he's saying is nonsense. Why? Why force the husband to divorce her? Force him to provide food for her. So that's Shmuel's argument. Shmuel says, again, this man comes along and says, I refuse to support my wife. So Rebbe Lozo and the others, they taught, okay, so make him get divorced. Shmuel says, why make him, just make him feed her. He says, ah, oh, the Rav. Rebbe Lozo taught this all in the name of Rav. So how did Rav explain it? Isn't it, isn't it a good answer? Rather just make him support her than make him divorce her. So he says, no, ain't out of dar in Nachash Bekfifa. It's not safe for a person to live in a basket with a snake. Like this husband, it's going to be tough for her. She's going to ask the husband for something. He's going to say, sorry, no. She's going to say, but Baisdin said you must. He says, yeah, well, I gave you enough food for supper and now for supper and lunch, and you've used it up. It's not my problem. You know, he's going to, every time she needs something, it's going to be a fight, and then she's going to have to go to Baisdin, and Baisdin are going to come and say, okay, feed us. Granted, they'll force him to provide her. It's going to be very unpleasant. It's living with a snake. So therefore, that's why Rav says we would force him to divorce her. Um, you have to read the next page, especially the end. It's an answer. <laughs> it's a very nice, a fascinating story. Rabbi Loza said the sugya over before Shmuel. So yes, read that. Okay, when Rabbi Zaira went up to Eretz Yisrael, he was saying this all in the name of Rabbi Yochanan. He was saying they point out. He was saying the same thing as Rav, I, that you for, if a man says, I refuse to support my wife, you force him to divorce her. Says, oh, so that's what Rabbi Yochan was saying. He says, Omri lay, outdoors, who are in the laws of the Bible? You know, for saying, in, when Rabbi Loza said that in Bible, they forced him to eat barley. I, it wasn't well accepted in uh, Shmuel's Yeshiva. But obviously, as we saw, Rav has a very good uh, explanation why you would say that. Omar, Rabbi Yudom, Rav. 
We only force a man to divorce his wife for where they are possible. I, where the wife is possible to. So when I said this before Shmuel, he said, Says he gave, Shmuel says, yeah, you're right. This is all the list of people who, are not, who the Torah says it's a negative commandment for them to marry. A mamzer in Israel, a Ammon in a Kohen Godel, etc. says, But if he married a woman and he lived with her for 10 years, and she still didn't have children, so we do not force him to divorce her. Ah, very interesting. Again, um, so that's what we, that's what he's saying. He says, granted, he has to marry another woman so he can fulfill the mitzvah of pruravu. We do not force him to divorce his wife to fulfill the mitzvah of pruravu. Now this is fascinating because, and it comes out from this discussion. But this is fascinating because this way I'm looking at it because. Granted, a man could marry a second wife. Maybe that's why we don't force him to divorce her. It's unlikely. We're taking, you'll see, through the sukkah, we take it for granted. It's unlikely that a man would marry a second wife. And that's the opinions who are going to come along and say, we force him to divorce her, is because if we don't force him to divorce her, he's got a wife. He's not going to marry a second wife. And therefore, he's not going to fulfill the mental pluribus. So, um, but which is, which is interesting because we... We always speak about, um, well, maybe we should, not always, but we shouldn't, we often think of it almost as in a society that allowed polygamy, it would be the norm. We see from the way the sugya flows, we'll see from the way the sugya flows, that it's not the norm. Even in those days, there were people who had more than one wife, but it wasn't necessarily the norm to the degree that almost we take for granted in the sugya that a man who has a wife is reluctant and unlikely to marry a second wife. I just, I found that fascinating because I always took, I always just assumed, ah, oh, up until Rabbeinu Gershom, every man had a few, two to a few wives. He says, no, nah, it seems even before Rabbeinu Gershom made the Xayra against polygamy. I heard once that uh, Amorayim tonight, they, they generally had only one wife. Yeah, it definitely seems like that. And also, that you can take from this that he didn't divorce her, so that she could have children, so which takes away the fact that it's not a big mitzvah for a woman to prove Well, we know that the mitzvah prove is not on women. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but I'm saying that said clearly also. Yeah. 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 This would be a reason to divorce her. We want him to fulfill the mitzvah of Purifu, so we're going to make him divorce this woman, and hope, and then he will marry us a new wife, and he'll have children. Um, so that's what we want. So, so again, we have Machloikes. Is this that a man's been married to a woman for 10 years a, a reason that Basin would get involved and force a divorce? says, so Tanan... We learned in the Mishnah, yeah, we have to look back at that Sugi in Yavomos where it discussed this, because there was it saying that we force him to marry another woman, or was it that we force him to divorce her? I think. But either way, nowadays we're not so particular with this. I don't know if we're particular with it at all. Tanan, Eilish, Kofi, Nasalahoiti, Mukashkin, Val Pulipos. 
Our Mishnah taught that who do we force a husband to divorce? If he's a Mukashkin or a Balpulipos. Now, Bishlam, Rabasi, Drabonan, Katani, Dorai, Zilotani. According to Rabbi Asi, it's only reasons motivated by the rabbis. But Psulim to Oraisa, our Mishnah is not discussing. I, our Mishnah left off a few obvious ones. If the man married a Mamzeres, or if the man married an Asin, or a Kohen married an Agrusha, you know, why didn't the Mishnah mention? No, those are all Dorisa Psulim, and those we would obviously force him. Our Mishnah is only discussing ones that the rabbis came along and said, in these cases we will also force him. It says, We should add, according to Rav Tachlifa Baravimi, we should add one to the list of when we force the husband to divorce her. When is that? If he's been married to a woman for 10 years and they haven't had children. Okay, that's not the Orisa. Like we said, he's got a mitzvah pruravu. Um, that's independent of being married to this woman. He could marry another woman, you know. So, it's, so it's this mitzvah of his to do pruravu is independent of his marriage, and therefore, um, this that according to this opinion that you should divorce, it should be added to the list of items in the Mishnah. It should say a mukashkin, someone who has pulipos. A man who's been married to a woman for 10 years without children. Why doesn't it? No, the discussion is, those things we would only motivate... The, you know, this, to make a man divorce his wife because they haven't had children for 10 years, that's with words. Whereas the other items in the Mishnah, we would use whips. Uh, you'd, make, you'd physically motivate him. Matkif lo Rebi Abba. Rebi Abba challenged us, but Vorim Loyusar Ovad. Rabbi Abba says, words won't train a slave. But Vorim Loyusar, every words won't train a slave. I, what, you're going to talk to this guy, say, look, we really think it's a good idea to let you divorce your wife. He'll say, okay, thank you. And you'll, you'll ignore your words, don't do anything. El Omar Rabbi Abba, rather Rabbi Abba says, Both cases it would mean divorce him with a with physical, uh, beat him up till he says yes. I both cases, whether it's because he has like a polypus or mukashkin, or whether he's been married to this woman for 10 years. Oh, so what's the difference? Is this ki omra havina bahade, shavkina lei, hacha omra havina lo shavkina lei. However, where she says, I still want to remain with him, we let her. But here, where he says they've been married for 10 years and she says, I want to remain with him, we don't allow her. Right? Again, if the husband's uh, one of these very smelly professions or he has strange growths on his nose that are, have a, a terrible smell, whatever the scenario is, if she says, I'm happy to remain married to him, basically aren't going to say, no, 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 the Mishnah says we must force you to get divorced. But in the case of Purvu, uh, Rabbi Abba is explaining that Rabbi Ravtachlifa would say, no, he has to divorce her. And we would, even if she says, I'm okay with it, I, it's not from her side anymore. The Mishnah was teaching things that we make, you know, another way of expressing it, a better way of expressing it. The Mishnah was things that we make him divorce her for her benefit. Therefore, she can say, I don't, I don't need that. I'm happy to remain married. But here it's for him. He has the mitzvah pruravu. So therefore, even if she says, look, I'm happy to remain married, we would make him get divorced again. Oh, but she's saying, I'm happy to remain married and he can marry a second wife. 
That's not good enough. Because again, as we said, he's unlikely. He's going to take his time then. He's got a wife. He's happy with her. He's not going to rush. But if we make him get divorced and now he's single, then he'll get married quicker. Okay, but wait. Even if she says, I'm happy to remain married to him, we don't allow her to. Yeah. It says, there's another mission which says, a mukashrin, they have to get divorced because it makes his flesh mamkato. It makes his flesh decay quicker, this mukashrin. If he has um, relations with a woman, it actually puts him in danger because it makes his flesh, uh, um, ru- it ruins his flesh, so he gets it's life threatening. And yet, that was taught in the Mishnah. Alright, so he's saying, we've got a man who's a Mukashrin. The woman says, I'm happy to remain married to him. We don't let him remain married to her. You just told me the reason we don't teach the 10 year case in the Mishnah is because there we don't allow her to remain married to him. Well, Mukashkin, we also don't allow her to remain married to him. It says, no. says, no, because over there, by a Mukashkin, she says, look, I'm happy to remain married to him. And you can have witnesses, I uh, chaperones, to make sure that we never intimate, which would put him in danger. We allow them. But in the case, again, of where we want them to divorce her because they've been married for 10 years, even if she says, I'm happy to remain married with him with witnesses, we will make him divorce her. That should be a bit too low, obviously. Yeah. Because it's not, we say that this actually is not having children. We don't say it's necessarily from her or her fault. So Sometimes it's just not the muzzle. Yeah. So therefore, she could marry another man and he'll have children, and maybe she'll have children with another man. Okay. Tanya. Rabbi Yoisi said that an old, wise, uh, old, an elderly man from the men of Yerushalayim told me, There are 24 types of mukashchim. Ah, what's the 24 strains of this uh, disease? They all say that tashmish is bad for them. The worst of, the harshest strain of Mukashkin is Bale Rasan. Ross, those who have Rasan. This type of strain called Rasan. And now we're going to just mention it. It says, Mimai Havu, what causes it? Tanya. Hik is dom veshimesh havien lo bonim visokin. If someone lets blood and then has beer, any children born from that, they'll be. Um, weak children. If both the man and the woman bloodlet and then have um, have uh, intercourse, the children born from that union after bloodletting will be balei rosam. They'll have rosam. This is where they didn't eat, but if they did eat, it would not. It would not cause this disease. It says, my Simona, what the symptoms? So, dolphin anal, watery eyes, dive, nechire, runny nose, or icile rirum ipume, he constantly has phlegm in his mouth, veromu didove olayo, and flies fly around him. It says, what's the cure? A very interesting, basically, what the cure is going to be is you operate on his skull, you, you open up his skull, and there's this insect there that you take off. Which I find fascinating that it's saying it's caused by when a couple bloodlet and then 
yeah. have a child from their from the union straight after that, and it's this insect on the brain. Uh, it's, it's, I mean, how they looked at uh, medicine is not the same way that we would look at it. But listen, so what's the cure? So Amar Abaya, Pila Beludna, Gridna, Guza, Ashba. You go and you get um, wor- a mint and wormwood and the bark of a nut tree and the scrapes of a heart, the Khalil Malka and and a lily. And the peels of unripe red dates. And you boil them together. You go into a marble house where there's no wind. If you don't have access to a marble house, take him to a house which has seven and a half brick thick walls. You pour 300 cups of this potion onto of this mixture onto his head until his skull softens and you tear it open to the brain now you bring four myrtle leaves and you pick up each um, each leg of the animal and put it on a leaf. This little, it's, I mean, it's not an insect, it has four, four legs, but you pick up one of this little creature and you put them on this thing. And once all four legs are on each of the myrtle leaves, you take it with tongs for Kalila and you burn it. If you don't burn it, it's going to fly back to him and affect, infect him again. Now, so, you know, so, as I said, I'm not sure how this works and what it is. Um, but also the problem is if you just try to take it off suddenly it will dig in with its I don't know, claws or whatever it has at the end of its legs and when you pull it off you're going to either tear the membrane or the brain or the brain so that's the danger that's why you have to do it in this way pick him one leg up put it on the myrtle leaf maybe that it doesn't bother it as much Machris Rabbi Yochanan Rabbi Yochanan announced says you even have to be careful of the flowers of those who have rosa. I seem the flowers can transmit this disease. And that's insightful, I mean, because we know that flowers carry disease, but okay, and the rest didn't seem. says, Rabbi Zaira wouldn't sit where the wind would blow from the person who had rasa towards him. Rabbi Lazar, Rabbi Yosin wouldn't go in the same room as someone who had Rosin. Rabbi Ami and Rabbi Asi would not eat from eggs that were from the same uh, neighborhood or area as uh, Bale Rosin. Rabbi Shur ben Levi, ah, different story. He would and sit close to them and learn Torah, delve into the Torah. Omar, he says, the Apostle says, Learning Torah brings chayn, brings goodwill to people. If it brings this chayn, this charm to people, would it not protect them from losing charm? Remember all the symptoms we mentioned of Balei, of people who have rasan are just they're very unpleasant to be around never mind the dangers of being around them they're very unpleasant to be around they have watery eyes and runny nose and they're coughing and spluttering phlegm it's very so those are all people who don't have chayim so if learning Torah gives those who learn it chayim it will definitely protect them from losing their chayim so he wasn't worried and now we go 
we show the mala of Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi's Torah learning. I, he was, Torah learning is supreme. Now just before we go on, obviously the next piece is not, I wouldn't take it literally. I mean to some degree it might be, but I wouldn't take it too literally. Obviously as we've mentioned in the past, um, whenever we learn Agarita, it's not to tell us a silly story or a crazy event or it's not to take, we don't take it as faith value, it's teaching us deep underlying messages of the, well here it will be the power of someone who learns Torah and dedicates him to a spiritual life. Whatever it is, they're using a story to give over deep and important concepts. And I keep that in mind. I mean, it's an amazing story, but you got to, we got to, the real beauty is when you get to the depth. I, I don't know if we'll have time to go through it in Shu, but if you get a chance, I did see article have a nice, uh, at the end of it, they have a nice write-up on explaining some of the deeper principles that are brought out from the story. It says, Ki when he was about to die, the Hashem, um, Shomayim, the heaven said, look, it is time to die, but go grant him his wish. So, you know, you get one wish before you die. So, also, they say, so the Malachim always appeared to him. So, he said, okay, show me my place in Ganeiden. So, so, the angel of death said, sure, come along, I'll show you. So, he says, okay, but I'm only traveling you with you, Malachim Aves, if you give me your, your sword, because I'm scared you'll, you're going to uh, scare me on the journey. I don't really trust you. You're the Malachim Mavis. Let me keep it for you. So, so the Malachim Mavis gave him his sword. When he reached there, he lifted it up so he could look over the wall. So he, they, they came to Gan Eden and he held Rabbi Shobin Levi up so he could look over the wall to see where he would be staying in Gan Eden when he died. What did he do? So he quickly jumped over the wall. So now you have Rabbi Shua ben Levi, who's alive and gone into Gan Eden. Knocked up a carne de glimmer, and the angel of death was hanging on to his, the tails of his coat. And on my sinner. So Rabbi Shua ben Levi says, I take a shvua, I won't leave. I swear I won't, now, now the Malachim Ovis can't make and break his oath. It says, Hashem said, look, if he's taken a shvua that he's got cancelled in his lifetime, then we can undo, we can undo the shvua and he has to, and you can make him leave. If not, well, then we can't make him leave. Now again, um, where this story is holding at the moment, we have Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi, who's now entered in Gan Eden alive. He says, So the angel just says, Okay, but return my sword. So he said, No, I'm not. He says, um, the mitapa lebriosa. He said, No, give him the sword. The red, he needs it to use on other people. I don't worry, he's not going to. He can't use it on you, but he can use it on other people. And now they were going through Ganadin. And uh, Eliyahu Anovi was walking before him saying, Make way for Bar Levi, make way for Bar Levi. You know, like you go before a dignitary. And he was going along and he saw Rabbi Shimon Ben Yochai sitting on 13 golden couches. He said to him, Are you the special Yeshua Bar Levi means Ben Levi? Are you the special Ben Levi? Yes, or oh, you Ben Levi says, Yes, I am. He says, Nira, so Keshus Biomecho, did you see a rainbow in your lifetime? Oh, Malay Hain. He says, Yes, I, had, I did see a rainbow. He says, Ah, oh, Im, Kane, Iatobar Levi. Well, then you're not 
Ben Levi. You're not the Rebbe Shua Ben Levi. He says, Balohi, Talahavimiri, Ella, Sova, Loi, Ischazek, Tuvan, and Nachek. And that wasn't true. He had never ever seen a rainbow. He just didn't want to uh, boast and say, Yeah, I never saw a rainbow. What's the significance of seeing a rainbow? So we know that Hashem shows a rainbow, or a rainbow reminds us that Hashem is like, I want to destroy the world, but I made a covenant that I wouldn't destroy the world. If you have an extremely righteous person in the generation, someone like Rabbi Shimon ben Yochai or Rabbi Shimon ben Nevi, there should be no rainbow, because he's able to make the worth of the world worth not being destroyed. So Rabbi Shimon ben Yochai says, if you're as special, if Rabbi Shimon, we know that this Rabbi Shimon ben Nevi is a phenomenal, phenomenal person. If you've seen a rainbow in your lifetime, then you're not the one that's, that everyone's talking about. Okay, Bar Papa, but obviously he was very humble, so he didn't um, admit it. Yeah, um, I'll just give one idea from this, which I think is important, is for, remember... As, obviously, as physical beings, we can't necessarily go into the spiritual world. But the more spiritual we make our lives in this world, the more we live for a higher purpose, then going into Ganeda, going into is not such a, such a shock to our system. For a Shoyim who make their whole lives about this world, you know, and the glory and the pleasure and desires of this world, then to die and go into Ganeda is actually totally... It's opposite to them. It's the antithesis to what they've lived for. So that's a very jarring, very unpleasant experience for them. They, they've, they've pushed away spirituality their whole lives. They've drawn themselves into the physical world and then they die. It's a very jarring, unpleasant experience. Whereas Sadiqim, who anyway in this world live a spiritual life, they're learning Torah and doing mitzvahs and chesed and they're living for a more lofty goal, then dying is not such a shock. They almost just step, they just jump over the wall into Ghanaian like Rabbi Shobinavi. Obviously, different people to different degrees. And I think that's what, on a simple level, that's one of the messages of this that the more spiritual, the more we make our lives a life connected to Olam Haba, then it's not, a, it's not a far journey. It's just jumping over the wall. And, uh, and that's, I think that's, a, in short, one of the messages from it. Rabbi Hanina Bar Papa was actually a friend of the Angel of Death. When he was about to die, Shamayim said to him, Go grant Rabbi Hanina Bar Papa a wish. So Ozal he appeared before him. He says, Give me 30 days so I can revise my learning to Omri. As they say, Happy is the one who comes here knowing his Talmud. So he says, What's your wish? He says, My wish is that I get a chance to do Chazor on what I've learned quickly. So the angel of death left him. So the angel of Ozil is Chazile. After 30 days, he appeared before him. Omale Achvili Duchte. He says, Show me, can you show me my place in Gan Eden? So Omale Lechio, he says, Sure, I'll show you. He says, Omale Havli Sakinech, Dilma Mavase Sli Burchus. He says, Okay, but give me your, na, your sword in case you scare me on the journey. So now the angel of death is a bit smarter from his last time someone asked for his sword. And he says, Omale, Kachabre, Moisla, maybe Hey, you're going to do what your friend did to me. You think I'm going to fall for it again? I'm not giving you my sword. If you try any nonsense, you're gonna you're gonna suffer my sword. Says Omale, I see Sefer Torah v'Chazi. 
So he said, he brought a Sefer Torah and he says, is there anything written in the Sefer Torah that I didn't keep? I, why can't you, why can't I reach the same level of Rabbi Yishob Levi? Why can't you grant me your sword? I take away the power of death over me. He says, Were you prepared to be close to people who had Rosson and delve into Torah? I, Rabbi Yishob Levi reached such a high level of Torah learning that he wasn't even... Uh, that, that there was no doubt to him that being in the near to to people with rasam wasn't dangerous. You weren't on that level. Nevertheless, when Rabbi Chaninabal Papa died, there was a pillar of fire separating between him and the people. We have a tradition that the, this pillar, a pillar of fire only separ- is only seen by two, one or two people in each generation. So he's one of the most holy people that, that in his death no one could even approach him. So the, it seems uh, Rabbi Alexandri came to the pillar of fire, came to Rechadin, and he says, for the cover of the Chachomim, let them approach you. I mean, this is a bit insulting that they're all these sages and none of them can come approach you because you're so much greater that you have this pillar of fire. He says, I didn't listen, didn't move. He says, also be of Vicha. Do it out of honor for your father. The pillar of fire didn't listen. He says, also be do it for your own honor. And he's like, I, Rashi explains, you have to let us come and eulogize you. Let us show honor. Let us take you and bury you in a befitting, honorable way. And it's for you that we want to. It's not for any other verse. He says, Omar Abaya, la afuke mi man de lo kayen. He says, um, oh, he says, this Torah was to, um, was to separate between him and those who didn't learn as much Torah, didn't fulfill as much Torah. So Amalai Rav Adabar Mosna lafuke mimar telo islay makele igra. So Rav Adabar Mosna says, no, this is actually this pillar of fire here to separate between you because you don't have a marker. We know there's a mitzvah to put a fence around the roof. And he's accusing Amalai. He says, no, the reason this fire is here, the reason that you can't approach him is because you don't have a marker. says, Velohi. He says, no, but Abaya did have a market. I, he wasn't guilty. He didn't transgress the midst of putting a market. He had a market, but there was a storm that had, at that time had blown it over. He had enough time to put it back up. Why do we not find people with Rosan in Babel? They bring because they eat. Beets and drink this type of beer. Why do we find that there are no people with leprosy in Babel? And they bath in the Euphrates. Okay. Start a new parrot tomorrow.